Come on, is anybody thankful for the love of Christ? Y'all not acting thankful this morning, though. Is anybody thankful for the love of Jesus Christ? Man, I love that line in there that says that his, his love saved us. You know, make no mistake about it. You aren't saved because you worked at it. You are not saved because you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. But you are saved, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4 will say it, because of the great love in which he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. Make no mistake about it. The greatest miracle was not Lazarus being raised. The greatest miracle is not on 34th Street. The greatest miracle is that he decided to save dysfunctional, trifling people like you and I. I am amazed by the gospel. It is not redundant. It is not a common message, but it is one that we hold fast to here at Epiphany Church. Well, welcome to Epiphany Church. Uh, we are excited that you are here. My name is Brandon Watts. I get the great, crazy, auspicious opportunity to serve as the lead pastor here at this church. We are a church that believe that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. As Timmy said, focusing on the fact that it's Jesus' mission. It's not Epiphany Brooklyn's mission. We don't have a mission. We are a part of God's mission. And the other part of that mission statement is the redemption of the city. And we are thankful for the Lord being able to allow us to participate in what he isn't just doing here, but has been doing for centuries and decades through the churches that are in this local area. I'm grateful. Let me publicly express my gratitude as well for our, uh, our VBS volunteers, those that came from Vegas, and also, amen. And also our volunteers that helped. There were many of our members that also helped uh, with our VBS this week. And, you know, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, like never underestimate the power of a young mind and to invest in the, the gospel into young kids. Like what a dope testimony it would be if these kids grow up and said, I heard Jesus at the VBS in 2017 and they grow up and uh, were saved by something that they heard that they mauled over all week. And that's my hope and prayer. And then we had neighborhood kids here. That's a big deal. We had neighborhood kids that were here and that were here all week. Uh, and some of them have had, that have had really, really rough times. And they come here and just be around the presence of God's people. It's a blessing. So thank you guys for, for giving. Thank you guys for volunteering. And thank you guys for helping us to pull off this VBS. Well, it is a great Sunday. And it's a great Sunday for a few reasons. First of all, my pastor and spiritual father and mentor is with us today. Can we thank God for Dr. Eric Mason? Amen. A lot of what you have heard me say or preach, I have taken right from his sermon and took his name right off and act like I made it up, act like I was so deep. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not at least offer him the opportunity to greet us if you want to. He's on vacation. You're okay. He's on sabbatical right now. And so, you, you know, Vance Havner says, if you don't, if you don't come apart, you'll fall apart. And so it's so good to see him and his wife. Yvette is with us today and their boys, Manny and Nehemiah. And man, it's so good to see them actually just resting, not doing anything until September. And they got the whole month off. And so we're excited to see that. Uh, it's also a great Sunday because we have what I would consider one of the greatest preachers of our time here with us today preaching to us. And, and I, I mean this, you know, wholeheartedly. This, this is another mentor of mine. In fact, he, he's gone through First Peter already. So there was a few verses that I was struggling with and I text him and he sent me his sermon notes. That's a big deal. He sent me his sermon notes. And he's another one. If you hear him say something that you've heard before, I promise you, he did not take it from me. I stole it from him. Um, but I, I am grateful. I, I have a, a short list of what I would call my favorite preachers that are living uh, and he is absolutely 100% on that list. And so uh, Pastor Brian is with us today. If you guys could do me a favor, because I'm eager to hear the word of God. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just point your hands his way. I'm a little charismatic. Just point your hands his way. And I, I pray for him. And then I, I want you guys to do me a favor. After I pray for him, give him a crazy Brooklyn welcome. All right. Father, I just thank you so much for 
Pastor Brian Loritz being with us today, all the way from Abundant Life in the Bay Area. He's suffering for Jesus out there next to the ocean. But Father, I thank you for him. And I pray today that you would use him for your glory. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to hear your word. That's just your reality. So would you open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word. But I also pray for him that you would just give him boldness to preach. Preach whatever he, whatever he feels that you are saying. Would you use him for your glory? And pray that the gospel would be clear today and that it would be penetrating to the hearts of your people. So thank you for him. Thank you for traveling mercies. Use him for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give him a Brooklyn welcome. great honor and joy it is to be here with you guys and uh, I, I almost want uh, someone feel free to just take a picture uh, and here's why uh, my wife and I we love Brandon so much Pastor Brandon that uh, when we heard this church was forming we 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 wanted to personally not our church but personally sow a seed into this ministry and uh, we always we always whenever we do special giving as a family we, we invite our kids in on it as well uh, for several reasons, we want to model what generosity looks like to them. And so I'd love for someone to just snap a picture so they can see the fruit of money well invested in you guys before you even had your first meeting. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit touching for me to stand here and to say, we've been praying for you guys. We've been sowing into this ministry. Uh, and it is just absolutely phenomenal to see what God is doing here. So if your life has been blessed and strengthened because of Epiphany Brooklyn, would you just give God a hand clap of praise for this pastor and for this church? Love Pastor Brandon, his wife, just something is just, I just love his spirit. Uh, he is, he is a, a man who deeply loves God, deeply loves you all, and uh, it is just good to be around him. Then uh, Pastor Eric and Pastor, uh, Pastor I call, started to call you Pastor, I don't know if you co-pastor, uh, but First Lady Yvette, uh, it is always good seeing them. You know, we, uh, this pastoring thing can be lonely, 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 uh, a lonely business, and uh, They've been friends to my wife and I for years, and so to see the way God's used you all, blessed you all, it is just good being around you. And they came up from Philly just to hang a little bit. So again, I give honor to you all, and I'm grateful for you. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take them out. Uh, I've been thinking a lot and praying about our time together, and I just want to give a word of pastoral exhortation and affirmation as you are, what, a year and a half in to the work here? And uh, I want to talk about the one thing Epiphany Brooklyn cannot fail at. The one thing this church, uh, you can fail at a whole lot of stuff, but if you fail at this, you have missed your assignment. And it's found in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3. And I want to read the whole chapter to you, all five verses of it. Someone almost passed out. You going to read the whole chapter? Uh, Hosea chapter 3, all five verses of it. And when you, got, when, you, uh, when you have found your way there, could you just stand to your feet and uh, let, us, let us just sit under the word of God, under the reading of the word of God. Hosea chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, I love this phrase, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is, not was, is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now notice the details here, verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. 
For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now, Father, I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good ground, that it would take root, that, that it would bear much fruit. I pray that this time, Lord God, is not an information dump. I pray that this is not just an exercise in note-taking, but I pray, Lord God, that the power of your word would be unleashed through this cracked vessel of clay. So use me, Father, in spite of me, to draw people unto you. I pray for those, Lord God, who are here and they don't know you, that you would save souls today in the name of Jesus. For those of us, Lord God, who are in relationship with you, I pray, Father, that your spirit would walk the aisles and would challenge us, would encourage us, would admonish us, but ultimately, Lord God, that you would change us. God, unleash the power of your word in a plain and practical way. As my grandmama used to say, God put shoe leather on your word today, that we would be clear in how we should walk in it. It is in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. You may be seated. A young man walked into a house one day and sat down with an elderly woman to have a conversation with her. Midway through the conversation, he noticed that situated on the coffee table between him and this elderly woman was a dish filled with what looked like delightful peanuts. These peanuts had his attention. And so... He looked at the elderly woman and said, ma'am, do you mind? I see you've got some peanuts here. Do you mind if I partake in some of these peanuts? She looked somewhat embarrassed, ironically, by the question. But eventually she acquiesced and the man started popping some of these peanuts into his mouth. Not long after that, he was embarrassed to look down at an empty dish. These peanuts were so good that he had... He had consumed all of them. He was embarrassed by this, and he interjected into the conversation, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. My mama raised me better than this. Here I am, a guest in your house, and I've, I've eaten, I've consumed all of your peanuts. But I've got to ask you, ma'am, these, these are some of the best peanuts I've ever had in my life. Where did you get them from? This question made this, made this elderly woman now turn flush red. She was beyond embarrassed by it, and the young man couldn't understand. And so finally, after a moment of silence, she said to him, Well, well sir, as you can see, I'm an elderly woman, and I have no teeth. These peanuts actually were once chocolate-covered peanuts, and I've sucked off all the chocolate and spit them back into the dish. The moral of the story is not everything is as it appears. <laughs> you know what's tragically true about once chocolate-covered peanuts is true for many people in the church who think they're legitimately saved but are not. There are many people who come week in and week out to church who serve in ministry even but who are operating under the illusion of salvation when in reality they are not authentic followers of Jesus. It was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great mid-20th century preacher, who, who once said that Matthew chapter 7 is the scariest chapter in all of the Bible. Jesus says to a group of religious leaders, I'm sorry in so many words, I can't let you into the kingdom. And these religious leaders are scratching their heads going, oh, wait a minute, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Jesus says, yes, thank you, but depart from me. I never knew you. The reality of hell is hell will have many parking spaces reserved for tithing, singing on the praise team, serving in ministry, seminary degree-having people who thought they were saved, but in reality were not. 
Just because you hang out in the same environment as Christians no more makes you a Christian than me standing in my garage makes me a car. So how do I know that I'm saved? Right on the heels of that statement in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says right around verse 22, you will recognize them by their fruit. By their fruit. Fruit is a changed and changing lifestyle that cannot be blamed on the normal maturation process of adulthood, but can only be blamed on the indwelling, empowering work of the Holy Spirit done through a completely submitted and yielded life. In other words, every legitimate believer should be able to look through the rearview mirror of their journey with Jesus and conclude two things. One, I am not all the way there yet. I haven't completely arrived. I'm, I, 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 I still mess up. I still drop the ball. I, I grew up in a small little, little chocolate Baptist church in Atlanta. And uh, during the 80s, we, we used to sing a song that James Cleveland wrote. Please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. But at the same time, while we should be able to look through the rearview mirror of our journey with Jesus and conclude, I haven't all, all the way arrived, we should be able to look through the rearview mirror at the same time and say, I am not all the way where I once was, that he is changing me. My wife and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage, and, and amen. And boy, I was a piece of work that first year of marriage, those first couple years of marriage. And, and, and if I haven't progressed and grown as a husband some 18 years later, if I'm still that same jerk of a husband, how can I say the third person of the Trinity is living inside of me? So we should all, all, all of us should be able to say who are legitimate followers of Jesus, haven't arrived, but I'm not where I once was. In fact, my pastor, Bishop Ulmer, he said it one Sunday in front of 13,000 people, so I don't mind saying it in front of you guys. He said, you know, when I first got saved, I used to cuss at the drop of a hat. But now since following Jesus, I don't cuss that fast anymore. <laughs> I'm not encouraging cursing here. But what is he saying? He's saying, look, I've got this thing called the flesh, and if you cut me off on the freeway on a bad day, I might want to pull up next to you and talk to you in sign language. <laughs> it's just the reality of it. But at the same time, he's saying, I'm, I'm not where I once was. He's changing me. And that, that change is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would say it this way. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled, filled, filled. Greek word pleroma, it means to be full to overflowing. I love it. This was a unique word that they used not just of pregnant women, but of pregnant women in their last trimester. I'm talking show enough pregnant. I'm, I'm talking can't bend down and tie your shoes pregnant. I'm talking so pregnant. It's just so obvious. You just met her for the first time, but in boldness, ask her when the babies do, because it's obvious. That's the word Paul uses for the filling of the Holy Spirit. May you be so overflowing with the Spirit of God that someone can meet you for the first time and they know who calls the shots in your life. Now, what is the visible manifestation of the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life? Paul answers this question, Galatians chapter 5, when he says, but the fruit, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is, I love it, love, 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 joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, this is not a comprehensive list. We know that for several reasons. Some of these attributes are left off, like humility. And then when Paul talks about the works of the flesh, he, he just says in, 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 in some of these at the end of that. So, but this is a good starting block. But please notice the leadoff batter is love. Some of you all at your weddings, you had read 1 Corinthians 13. Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. One commentator says that love is the MVP of all New Testament virtues. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, not by the arguments you have on Facebook. Not by your position paper on our friends in the gay community. Yeah. 
not by your political affiliations, not by the amount of possessions that you have or the followers you have on Twitter or the things that you tweet out, but by this will all people know that you're legitimate followers of me. It's by your love. Love is a big deal to God. In, in, in fact, I believe that we die, when we die and we stand face to face with our creator, we, we're going to be asked about our stewardship of love. An unloving Christian is an oxymoron. It is, a, it is a contradiction in terms. And that is why Epiphany Brooklyn, if there's one thing you cannot fail at, it's love. I see y'all progressive. Y'all got a little ticker on that on the back. <laughs> I got 30 minutes and 14, 13, 12, 11 seconds. All right now. Now the question on the table is what does it mean to really love? That's the question I want to explore in the last 30 minutes and three, two, one seconds. What does it look like to really love? If love is a big deal to God, what does it mean to love? Now we come to our passage. God comes to Hosea one day and he says, Hosea, in so many words, we've got a problem. The problem, Hosea, is I have entered into what the Hebrew calls hesed. It is, it is the idea of, of a committed relationship. It is, it, it, the closest idea we have is it, it is covenant. God says, I've, I've entered into covenant, not contract. Contract is performance. Contract has term limits. Hesed is God's performance-free love. It is his unfailing, unceasing, unrelenting, to make up a word, it is, un, it is his unquitting love. It is a love that never gives up, never gives out, never gives in. It is a love that is not predicated on our performance. In fact, I'm thinking now of a conversation I recently had with my father. My, uh, every time I'm with my dad, I think there, there's, there's, a, there's a verse every child whose adult parents are still in their lives should be able to, to quote. Uh, to their adult parents. It's Proverbs 13:22. Every time I'm with my dad, I always quote it to him. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. <laughs> and I always quote that to my dad. I'm like, are you a good man? <laughs> Last time I was with him, we were sitting in a restaurant there in, uh, in Atlanta. And he says, funny, you should bring that up, son. Um, I've just made some changes to my will. Now my ears perked up. I said, really? <laughs> So he says, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I sat down with my lawyer here in Atlanta, and my lawyer says, uh, Dr. Loritz, uh, I'm ready to go through this process of changing your will, but I've noticed, Dr. Loritz, you've got four kids. And I see that three of them are biological. One of them, my baby sister, is adopted. He says, the, the lawyer says, before we get started, you need to understand that Georgia state law stipulates that at any given moment, you can write out of your will your biological kids. But that same Georgia state law also has a provision that says you can never write out or amend from your will your adopted child. That child is secure. When he said that, I immediately went to Ephesians chapter 1 and says, when you got saved, you were adopted into the family of God. And sealed with the Holy Spirit. The idea of seal is not, it's just, it's not just authentication, but it is also security. So that biblically speaking, adoption is not second class citizenship. It is first rate security. And you got adopted the same way kids get adopted today. My baby sister didn't choose her mama and daddy. It was her mama and daddy who chose her. Talking to one adopted parent the other day whose child is being a, a rebel. He says, what pains me the most about this child being a rebel is I chose them. You didn't perform your way into the family of God. You didn't tithe your way into the family of God. You are chosen by God's divine prerogative and initiative. And now God, who has chosen Israel, says to Hosea, we've got a problem. I have entered into Hesed, this, this covenantal relationship with me, but now God's words, he says, they keep playing the whore. 
They are committing spiritual adultery. By the way, that's a good description of sin. Every time we sin, we commit spiritual adultery. But God says, Hosea, even though they're cheating on me, I have entered into covenant with them. I am going to keep my vows. I want to communicate to them, Hosea, that our relationship is not quid pro quo. It is not transactional. It is not performance predicated. Hosea, I don't want you to get up and preach to them this. In fact, Hosea, I want to use you as my divine show and tell for my unfailing, unrelenting love for my people. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and marry a woman who not was, the text says, an adulteress, but who is an adulteress. Jose, I know you just graduated from seminary. I know you've got the MDiv. I know you just got called to your first church. And I've got your first lady picked out. I want you to go to the other side of town. Hosea's like, well, who is she? Well, Hosea, in the words of Rick James, this ain't going to be the kind of girl you take home to mama. <laughs> For she is an adulteress. Our text gives us five descriptions of love. And these descriptions must be true of every follower of Jesus. The first thing we see about love is that love oftentimes is strange. It's strange. Can't you see the sight of the preacher and the prostitute coming to church? It's strange. My wife and I moved out to the bay a little over a year ago. And my, my, my youngest boy, my youngest boy, uh, we call him RP, retirement plan. Uh, that kid, he just came back from Vegas in a national tournament, showed out. Uh, that, that kid can ball. I don't know where he gets it from, but that kid, that kid can ball. And on his team, uh, the, w one of the guards on his team has two moms. These moms are married to each other. As this fall season started last year, my wife and I are sitting in the stands cheering, cheering, cheering the team on, and we've, we're looking at these two moms, and, and my wife and I just felt like God was calling us not to change them, because you can't change anybody. You can't even change yourself. <laughs> God's calling us to love them. So we engage them, and... They come over the house during fall season, we eat good food, and there's times in which it's uncomfortable, they're showing affection to each other, that's what married couples do, and, but we're loving on them and loving on them. The whole time I'm saying, please don't ask me what I do for a living. <laughs> and we make it through fall season, all kinds of dinners, hanging out, not, not once did they ask me what I do for a living. We're just loving on them and loving on them. February of this year, they're over at the house, and one of them, Yolanda, says, Hey, I've been meaning to ask you, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. I tell people that relation, uh, how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and how to find meaning and fulfillment in life. Yolanda immediately got a scowl on her face moved towards the door and said, I never saw that coming. Let's go. You know what my first thought was? And y'all call us judgmental. <laughs> Ain't that something? Never been invited to your house, but yours over here and eating good food. And we talked her out of it. We sit back to the table and we start building a relationship and building a relationship and building a relationship and building a relationship. About six weeks ago, they called and said, hey, our son's African-American. And we just feel like he needs to be around strong African-American men. So we wanted you to know, Brian, that, that we just bought a house around the corner from you. They moved 30 minutes from their house to live around the corner from us.
About a week later, my wife and I got to talking, and we said, we think their son needs to go on vacation with us. We were going to New York and then to a Christian camp in South Carolina. So we started praying, and I, I went up to the moms. I said, hey, 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 we, we'd love to take your son from San Francisco to New York and then to a Christian camp in South Carolina. Without flinching, they said yes. We get to the Christian camp, and the last day of camp, we're having family devos. Josh comes up to me after family devos, little boy. He said, Mr. Loretz, I want to be a Christian. Can you pray with me? And show me how to be a Christian. What got him to Christ was love. What got him on the airplane was love. What got him around the corner was love. Hear me. At some point, we're going to have to have the discussion about where we stand on the issue. But people are not issues to be debated. They're folk to be loved. And if you could see me, the preacher, with two married moms, you would say, strange. Who in your life that when people look at you with this person, with this family, they go, that's strange. The problem with Christianity is we have gotten far too tribal. There's the Democratic church and the Republican church and the rich church and the poor church. How strange is your dinner table? After all, the fact that God is with you is strange. First of all, love is strange, but in our last 18 minutes and 26, 25 seconds, you should also know a second point. Not only is love strange, but love at times can be painful. I don't know when it happened, but, but our text begins by God saying to Hosea, go again. Which means something happened. I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily know what happened, but, but, but maybe Hosea came home one day after preaching somewhere and his chariot pulls up at the house and he, he walks in only to find his wife in bed with another man. There's been a separation. There has, there has been a breach in the relationship. No doubt, she's been the one to violate the terms of the relationship. Maybe, maybe Hosea is thinking, oh, wonderful, this project is up. Didn't want to be with her in the first place. So this little project is over. God says, no, 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 Hosea. Remember, this marriage is not ultimately about your happiness. It is about what I am trying to demonstrate to my people. So Hosea, remember, it's not about quid pro quo. She messed up just like my people mess up with me. So now, Hosea, what I'm asking you to do with her is what I do with my people every day. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Do you know every time you sin, you commit spiritual adultery, and every time God forgives you, which means you are here today because moment by moment, day by day, God goes again, and he 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 goes again. Which means this. To love someone means that you are now into relationship with a flawed, broken sinner. 
which means this, that person will violate you at some point, which means this, if every time someone wrongs you, you emotionally moonwalk and set up a boundary, don't complain about being lonely. Community is messy. And if you're here today, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't know about this church thing. I hear there's a whole lot of hypocrites. Whenever you put two or more people together, there's going to be hypocrisy. There's going to be mess. There's going to be dysfunction. Don't act like you didn't see it at the frat house. (laughs) People are messy. So what what does God require of us? That we go again and go again and go again. Listen, of course, there are extremes to this. Of course, if you're in an abusive relationship, use wisdom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we have a low threshold of pain for people's idiosyncrasies. So fasten your seatbelts. You join this church or any church. Look, if every time someone gossips about you, you leave the church to find another one, you're going to be church hopping all your life. It happens. Christians are some of the most entitled, spineless people I know. So when it happens, have a conversation. Don't lean on the pastor to be your, re- re- to be your relational nanny. Matthew 18 says when it happens, you have the conversation first. There's pain. Third. To love someone is not only strange, it's not only painful at times, but to love someone means I have to lay down my rights. I love it. God says, Hosea, she wronged you. Go again. I love it. He says, and love. Underline or circle that Hebrew word for love. It is a rare word for love. This Hebrew word for love is an uncommon word. This word means to flirt. It it, it means to romance. It, it, It means to spit some game. In other words, what God is concerned about with Hosea is, is that his going again not just be obligatory. Well, I got to go back. Don't really want to be here. But God asked me to be here, so I'm back. No, 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 no. This word for love, it is a picture of Gomer violating him and now God calling him to on the way back stop by whole paycheck. I mean, whole foods. (laughs) To stop by and get some flowers. Wait, wait, wait. She cheated on you. I know. And maybe Hosea is saying, well, wait a minute, God, I have the right to divorce her. In fact, God, let me, let me just remind you what your word says in the book of, in the book of um, uh, Leviticus, I believe it is. It, it actually gives me a provision of what should happen when a woman commits adultery. I, I not only get to divorce her, but according to your word, I get to stone her. It's as if God's saying, I know what I said. But what I'm asking you to is to lay down your rights and fly at a higher altitude. Jesus got got to this. In Matthew chapter 5, he says it this way. Write down verses 38 to 42. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone, here it is, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here's Jesus talking to a primarily Jewish audience, an audience of oppressed people who are living under the tyranny of Rome. There was a Roman law that actually said, if a soldier came up to you and was tired and forced you to carry his pack, you were obligated under Roman law to carry that pack for a mile. Jesus says at the end of that mile, don't just go check the box, fulfilled my rights, I'm done. He says, no, actually go the extra mile. Lay down 
your rights. I do a lot of pastoral counseling. I sit down with couples all the time. And sometimes you do pastoral counseling with, with couples, it's like watching a tennis match where you go, good point, good point, good point, good point. Your ad, deuce, ad, deuce. And at some point you go, you guys are making good points, but what's going to break the stalemate is someone's got to go, I'm going to lay down my rights. Forgive this trite analogy, but so my wife and I get together, two sinners getting together. My, my list of baggage and idiosyncrasies is about four times as long as her list, but she brings her stuff too. My wife is obsessive about being clean in the house. She, she's obsessive. It, she takes it to another level, a whole nother level. I remember a couple years ago, she came to me one day and said, um, honey, I, I, I got a little bit of an issue with what you do with your toothbrush right when you get finished brushing your teeth. I'm like, all right, this is going to be real interesting. <laughs> she said, honey, when you get finished brushing your teeth, you just lay your toothbrush on my counter. And it is her counter. <laughs> and she says, the problem with that, honey, is the residue from the toothpaste and the toothbrush leaks onto my counter. So, honey, it would really bless me if, if at, at the end of brushing your teeth, you could angle the toothbrush so that the bristles hang over the edge of the sink and drips into the sink, not on the counter. I just gave a couple of wives a good idea, didn't I? I'm saying this woman done lost her mind. Holy Spirit said, shut up and just do it. You know what's funny about that? A couple months later, I was preaching somewhere in some hotel thousands of miles from home. And I get into bed at night and I'm laughing my head off because I had angled the toothbrush <laughs> over the sink. We just bought this house in San Jose and, and we've got this glass shower. And uh, first time we've had a glass shower, there's nothing special about it. But I'm taking my first shower. My wife comes in with a squeegee and she says, honey, um, <laughs> it would really bless me and make my job easier if after taking a shower, you could just squeegee. I'm going, this woman done lost her mind. Holy Spirit says, shut up. It's just 30 seconds out your day and do it. Lay down your rights. Now, I can make a great defense as to why I shouldn't do that. You know, and every time I do it, now I'm like, I am a man. I am a man. I am a man. You know how many friendships and relationships have just gone into gridlock over small stuff? To love someone means if what they're asking me to isn't violating scripture or what the Holy Spirit is telling me, then to love. Means I lay down my rights. Fourth, love is costly. She's messed up. She's screwed up. She's now in bondage and is going up for sale at the auction block. Hosea now has to go get her. Now, now this is something else in the text because my problem is, God, if you're asking me to go get her, then how come you just can't give me the money to go get her? Hosea doesn't really have the money. We know this from the text because the text tells us that he bought her for 15 shekels and a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, that detail tells us everything. The going rate to emancipate someone was 30 shekels. If he had the 30 shekels, it would have said, I paid the 30 shekels. But the fact that the text goes into detail and says that he paid 15 shekels plus a homer and a lethic of barley suggests that for him to redeem her cost him everything he had. That he's got to piecemeal this thing together. It is as if he goes to the auction block like this. in your life do you love 
and it's done this to you. Who in your life do you love? My wife and I, we're, look, you know, um, we've got a child who's just not, he's just not getting it right now. And it's amazing. Same house. I got two kids flourishing. One kid is just not clicking. And I could tell you about all the stuff we're going through and the emotional investment and the financial investment. But you know what you would say to me? That's what parents are supposed to do. In some way, shape, or form, that's what Christians are supposed to do. We want Nordstrom quality community at thrift store price. You get out of people what you put in. I see it all the time happen in church. Someone goes through a hard time and they get upset at the church because nobody came to see them. Nobody dropped off meals. I see different people in the same church. They go through something. Everybody's beating down their door. What's the difference between the two people? I'll tell you the difference is one invested well in others. One didn't. You get out what you put in. So if you don't want to pay a price, if you want discount community, The love costs. Let's go home on this one. If I ended the message right here, we would make love this worldly thing almost, where I'm just this doormat, right? But that's not how the text ends. I love it. Verse 3, and I said to her, so now he buys her, verse 2. Don't forget the progression. In fact, let me read verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Watch this. Verse 2, he redeems her. Verse 3, he gives her the standard. So that the fifth thing we see about love, love has standards. But watch the progression. He doesn't give her the standard first and then redeem her. If he would have done that, he would have made his love conditional. But he redeems first and then gives the standard. Y'all ain't getting this. We see this in the Exodus event. God does not go to the nation of Israel and goes, you know what? I'm thinking about emancipating you. I'm thinking about setting you free. I'm thinking about opening up the Red Sea. But before I do that, let's have a little test. Here's 10 commandments. I want you to do these 10 commandments. If you do the 10 commandments, then I'll open the Red Sea. That's not what he does. He opens the Red Sea first. He emancipates them first. And then on the heels of that, he gives them a commandment. Now, I got to stop right here and say this. There is a heresy floating around the millennial churches today, and it is this thing we call antinomianism. We've fallen in love with a caricature of grace that says grace gives me license. That it's all grace and I don't have to do anything. Dallas Willard says, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So grace says, I don't earn my way in, but there's no way you can read your Bible and not come away with there's a standard. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. But the reason why God puts the redemption in front of the standard is that now having been redeemed, the standard is not a have to, but a get to. I get to give my money to the one who redeemed me. I get to serve to the one who set me free. I get to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I get to, I get to, I get to. Now, let's not get lost, because what I've given you in this text is a secondary application. 
It's how we love others. But the primary application, you can only get to that when you understand this one fundamental truth. We are all Gomer. We ain't Hosea. We're the unlovable. We're the adulteress. We're the one cheating on God, whoring after other gods. We're, we're the idolaters. And what does Jesus do? He, he goes again. What does Jesus do? He lays down his rights by getting on a cross. What does Jesus do on the cross? He pays the price. He gives it his all. This is what Christ does. And to be Christian means in some way, shape, or form, I model horizontally what he has done for me vertically. Here's Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. That though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. I've got diamond status with Delta, which means I fly way too much. What this pretty much means is whenever I fly, if there's an empty seat in first class, I get the free upgrade. Now, this is wonderful when I'm flying by myself. But I've had to learn the hard way that when I'm flying with my wife, who ain't got no status, it ain't conducive to a healthy marriage for me to be chilling in first class, eating Biscoff cookies while she's back in coach. So what I'm learning to do now is when it's just me and my wife, and I, because of my status, get the free upgrade, I'll, I'll sit down next to her and coach to bless her. Although parenthetically, she says, no, if you really want to bless me, why don't you give me the first class ticket? I'm like, well, honey, I thought this was about us being together. But I'll sit down and coach next to her because of my status. I've, I've gotten the upgrade. I'll sit down next to her and coach, which means I'm sitting in someone else's seat. Now, that person whose seat I'm sitting in will come barking at me. You sitting in my seat. You sitting in my... I'll shut them up real quick. Take my first class ticket. Now, watch me. I haven't lost my status. I'm still diamond. I just refuse to use my status for my own selfish ends. I'm done, y'all. But Jesus Christ was sitting in the first class section of the universe called heaven. Saw us floundering in coach. Came down here, took on flesh and dwelt among us. Hung on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day so that we could get the upgrade back to heaven. That's love. And in some way, shape or form, he calls us to mimic that love to others. In the name of Jesus.